0: What's up, Videolanders? I'm your host, Brad Hawkins. Welcome to another episode of Adventures in Videoland. Remember, you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com or on our Facebook page at Adventures in Videoland. I just finished talking with Vince DeSante about his short film, Never Hike Alone. This is a project I'm very excited about. The premise is brilliant for a slasher film, perfect for a Friday the 13th film. The title is killer, I would pay to go see a horror film with the title, Never Hike Alone. And it's a great tip. Don't hike alone. Don't hike alone or bad shit will happen. The poster is great. The font for the poster is great. Never Hike Alone is the Friday the 13th movie we need right now. Let's get this show going. Please welcome Vince DeSante. Vincent, what's going on, man? Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad, man. Where are you calling from tonight?
1: Calling in from Los Angeles, California.
0: So I'm very excited about your project, man. the The idea is brilliant. This should be the next Jason movie. Can you tell Videoland what Never Hike Alone is about?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Never Hike Alone is uh, it's a short film uh, based on the world of Friday the Thirteenth, as everyone should know right now. And it follows the story of a young hiker by the name of Kyle McLeod, who, while on a backcountry camping trip, uh, discovers the long-lost remains of Camp Crystal Lake, and in our world. Camp Crystal Lake has been shut down since the 80s, ever since the original Pamela Voorhees murders, and no one's ever been back since. And the legend and lore has carried on through time, and nobody knows what's true, but as far as Kyle's concerned, he's found the find of the century because he's this YouTubing hiking guy who's trying to figure out how to build his channel, and he kind of stumbles upon this jackpot and starts to explore Camp Crystal Lake, and during his exploration comes to learn that all of the legends of more are actually true. Jason Voorhees is still there, still living at the camp, and the two of them entangle in this fight that turns into a battle between isolation and survival for Kyle and his obstacle being Jason Voorhees out in the middle of nowhere.
0: Uh, I'm just surprised that this has not been a Jason movie, man. It's just a brilliant idea.
1: Well, I mean, I think that the, the usual Bright um, at the 13th Formula has always been uh, the body count, you know, slash and kill, multiple kill scenes. And for us, we wanted to find a different package for Jason, something that would be equally as terrifying, but uh, interesting and new and fresh. And we always get to the films where it's always one on one, or usually in the in the original films, it usually tended to get a one on one battle with Jason at the end, and that was the most that was the most heightened of the of, of the film experience. So we wanted to capture that in a one on one battle here, but draw it out. I mean when you I think one of the great things about the original Friday the thirteenth is the thought of isolation that these kids are babes in the woods and you know they're not prepared to deal with what's coming and they don't know what's coming and with us we wanted to recreate that feeling by by using where Camp Crystal Lake is gone and putting it out in the middle of nowhere and then stranding our character out in the middle of nowhere with Jason. Now he has to rely on his own tools to survive versus, you know, our you know in my favorite um, horror icon of all time so I thought that that would be a good dynamic and it offers up different situations where you can create fear rather than just jump out kill the guy, it's, it's about what happens when Jason gets you in the woods, like how do you get away if he's constantly pursuing you or if you're stuck inside a cabin and Jason's coming in you know, how do you get out and what do you do and how do you hide and, you know, those things I think have been explored in films but we really go in depth and then take it to the next level we
0: think yeah, it sounds like you really give the protagonist a fighting chance, which is cool because, you know, like I hate stupid characters in movies. You know, I just I hate when the when the characters, they just they suck and they get they just get axed. One of my favorite directors of all time is um, Neil Marshall, you know, uh, dog soldiers, descent and his protagonists, man, they're strong. It's like they're going to do anything that they can to survive the night. If it's werewolves or demons in a cave. And I just love this idea that you're going to have this one on one. I think I think it's just a great idea
1: final girls in 5 the 13th, you end up becoming strong characters who reach above where they thought that they would survive and that's how they usually survive the night. And I think you're you're right on point with Neil Marshall. The Descent was one of the inspirations for this film. Oh, cool. the cool. In 127 hours, we wanted to take that, you know, I think the Descent's a really great um, example because it takes that isolation then being stuck in a caves and dealing with something that shouldn't be true. That shouldn't, you know, those things aren't real but those characters have to deal with those Little demon creatures in, in the caves, and that's their play. And so, we wanted to do something where, you know, Friday the 13th could step into that void and kind of take up that type of sinner space um, through a, a little bit of a different lens and take it a little bit more, you know, like the consequences are dire. When you only have one character, you can't just like kill him off in the first five minutes. You have to put him through hell. And I think the process of putting the character through hell is what makes it interesting. And you know, throw Jason on top of that, and it gets very interesting.
0: Yeah, and it's such a fresh idea. It's a, it's a rough time for Friday the Thirteenth fans. I mean, we haven't had a movie since 2009, and in my opinion, that wasn't that great. Uh, Paramount just canceled their plans for the next installment. I mean, as a Jason fan, how do you feel about that? Has the uh, the next installment, the cancellation of that, has it affected Never Hike Alone at all?
1: Um, yes, in good and bad ways. I mean, when the, when they canceled the film. It gave along like a, a little bit more attention, which was nice. But I think that as fans, we would have rather seen, you know, a full-fledged production up on the screen on Friday the 13th this year. Like we always do. We always root for, you know, the stories to get through and make to the screen so we can see them and see a new Friday. And then as a fan and, and you know, as, as the crew members who are fans of the series, we were looking forward to the next Friday. Um, it's unfortunate we didn't get any of the versions that, you know, ended up getting released or, you know, scripts that we read. But, you know, I think from what I'm hearing, going to the conventions and talking to some of the alumni and some of the people involved, it sounds like, you know, the train's still moving. They're still trying to figure out what's next. And, you know, in the meantime, here we are, you know, it's this little fan film that, um, you know, when we discovered that the the film was going to get canceled, we took it upon ourselves after this Kickstarter to, you know, push the film a little bit further and try a little bit harder to increase our production value and not... Completely make up for the fact that we're not getting a film, but give the fans something special, and you know, that's what we're really striving for with this project.
0: Yeah, what is the budget for your film?
1: Uh, it's going to be roughly between thirty and $40,000. Uh, we raised almost $20,000 for this last Kickstarter run, and then we've raised about an equal amount in private funding for... Um, some here and there and a lot of special favors and things like that so yeah between about you know 30
0: 35 i think by the time we're done you know i heard rumors that uh through paramount the one of the reasons that they canceled the production was rings didn't do too well you know it didn't make as much as they they planned so they got kind of cold feet with jason and they wanted i think it was 23 25 million dollars somewhere around there for for a jason movie And i'm seeing what you're doing for you know thirty thousand. although this is what like a 20 how how long how long is your film (coughs) um
1: we're scheduled to be originally we plan to be 22 minutes we think we're going to land a little bit longer than that maybe a half hour um once we get the full cut up we'll we'll know but it's probably about a half hour
0: what could you do with 23 million (laughs) dollars
1: um well i probably only use (laughs) about a quarter of it (laughs) right Um, and i think i would you know try to focus on Telling a nice little story, but not going ham on the budget, not going ham on a lot of things that aren't needed. I think if you focus on Friday the 13th in the right areas and create the right mood, it shouldn't really cost that money, that much money. Um, you can put the production value into it. You can put the big names into it. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you a know, Friday the 13th film doesn't need much other than a really good idea and good scenes and great music um, to get you know, to get going, and you know, twenty-three million—you can do a lot with that. And I read some of those scripts, and I understand where that money was going. But if they were really scared about a twenty-three million-dollar budget for Friday the Thirteenth feature, I mean, I don't see why they couldn't have rethought. And I think that's probably what they're thinking—is rescaling and getting it down to that five to ten million-dollar range, kind of like what Blumhouse is doing, and probably giving it a little extra because of the name recognition. But we'll see. I mean, we're going to see how how they treat it. And, We'll see what happens with some of these horror franchises that are coming out, like the new Halloween and the new Leatherface and and all these different projects that are kind of resurging again. Um, We'll see how how Friday the 13th picks up in that stream once it gets going.
0: Yeah, maybe it's a good thing. I mean, you brought up Blumhouse there. I mean, they get it right. I mean, they did Get Out, you know, they did um, uh, Split. I mean they're they're killing it when it comes to horror films and they're giving it you know the films the budget that it deserves you know and it's going to make money. So yeah I'm I'm just uh, maybe it's a good thing that Jason got pushed back a little bit the new Friday the 13th. I've heard that they're going to you know get into the origin of Jason and that's not something I'm really interested in. I'm I'm more interested in just continuing those stories or you know I don't want to know where Jason came from. It's not something really that I'm interested in as a viewer as a, as a fan. So that's why I'm so interested in Never Hike Alone. You know, I see this idea and if you, if you presented me with two different movies, if you presented me Never Hike Alone and the origin of, of Friday the 13th of Jason getting into his daddy roots and stuff like that, I'm like, man, I would so much rather go see Never Hike Alone, you know, which gets me to, where did you come up with the story where, uh, of a hiker versus Jason and we're such a great idea. Where'd that come from? I mean, it came
1: from, you know, I always wanted to do a Friday the 13th fan film on my own, um. And I never really put it together, and I used to go hiking a lot. And one day while I was hiking, I kind of found these cabins in the woods. Um, And it wasn't really in a dangerous place, and it was right off the side of the road. But I just thought about, like, you know, what happens in between Friday the 13th films when, like, a hiker, just one, stumbles in? Like, what happens on that day? And and what happens to that guy? Those people who go missing in between the films, like, the ones you don't hear about, the ones that aren't in the movies. And that'd be cool to see shorts about the moments between the films or moments that have come after the films. And originally when I came up with this idea, it was actually going to be set, you know, set between one of the the two films in the original series and then have a hiker that's kind of stumbled in sometime in the 80s. And, you know, he's carrying a journal with him and, and he's writing about his journey. He's on this long journey and, and he ended up discovering the camp and then writing about it in his journal. And then that's what's found kind of at the end. And that's, that, that was like the original little short. And as I started to develop it and think about it, you know, I thought about like, well, why don't we just do it now? Let's bring him into today's age. Let's make it relatable. You know, we don't journal anymore; we blog. Like, let's make him a blogger. Let's 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 update him. Let's make him relatable to these characters. And you know, the actor himself, Andrew, does a lot of social media um, through his acting and, and his modeling. And he's very good at it. He's very personable. And we wanted to take advantage of that, and it's been great. And and the scenes with Kyle before we even get to Jason, before, you know, and when he is dealing with Jason and we're going through all these moments with him, he's so personable and relatable that, like you said, you want a character you can root for and we think we found a great actor and we know that he's giving a great performance that by the time, you know, it comes to throw down, I think you guys are going to be like, wait, no, don't kill this guy. We don't want to kill this guy. You can kill somebody else and it turns into a big fight and, um, and, and, you know, at the end, I think we want people rooting for, Rooting for Kyle, and, and we'll see what happens to him, but if we do our job, then, then that's how then that's the dynamic
0: that we're going to get. You know what, I'm very interested in that, too, because even by the trailer, you know, um, you spend a lot of time showing Kyle, and a, even though this is going to be a one-on-one movie, we know usually mm-hmm. what happens to the victims of, of Jason Voorhees, you know, so I'm mm-hmm. very curious to... To see his fate on the screen—is he going to survive, or, 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 you know, is he going to get, is he going to get the axe? (laughs) You know, so I'm very. You're going to have to watch to find out. Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm sure it's going to be cool. But what inspired you to make a Freddy the 13th film? Why not Nightmare on Elm Street or, or Halloween? Because if you ask me, man, it depends on what day you ask me. Am I a Freddy fan, or am I a Jason fan? And in all honesty, I think I always come back around. Usually. To Jason there's just something about him just being slow and always catching up with you no matter how fast you run Uh so I think I'm more of a Jason fan but man you know Michael Myers and and Freddie are pretty badass too
1: uh for me I mean Friday the 13th set I grew up in the woods I grew up on a lake and um Jason was the the slasher villain scared me the most. I mean, he was the one who I thought was going to come through the door and grab me in my bed at night or was going to pull me under the water when I was swimming in the lake or jump out from behind a tree and just hit me with a machete. I mean, he was who I feared, and the and the hockey mask was so iconic to me and, and I grew up with that and that was my favorite series. I watched the VHSs until they couldn't be watched anymore and every time a new one came out, I'd get that one and I'd watch the crap out of it again and try to figure out what the hell was going on and why he's now jumping from body to body as a snake and going to space and... But what about the old ones? And and kind of watching these films over the years, I just watched them kind of take all these different paths. But I don't think, since the 80s, I've seen Friday the 13th take a path that I've been like, yes, all right, it's back on the right track. This is what I want to see. This is is the Friday the 13th that I remember. And so when I wanted to make a Friday the 13th fan film, I wanted to do something that, if a new movie was going to come out, that it would be in the realm of what we're trying to create. That it would take... We take a step back and maybe not be so ridiculous with Jason and go back to the core values that make him scary, you know, the things that scare the shit out of us and not try to make it a gimmick, but just show that he's this oncoming storm that can't be stopped. And once the bray train gets going, I mean, what are you going to do? And, you know, I think of, of all the horror villains that are out there, I mean, I don't think there's any other villain like Jason who is that unstoppable. I mean, you can say that about Michael Myers, you can say that about Freddy, but there's something about Jason where... He's just put through so much, and he never stops coming, and I, and I just love that about him. And and it's what makes it what makes him so scary. He can just never die.
0: Now, do you have a favorite Friday the Thirteenth movie?
1: Um, I try to draw for this. I try to draw inspiration from all from all of them in some way, shape, or form. Um, but Part Six is my favorite. I love um, the, the cap to the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. You know, I love that whole story. Like I could watch four through six as a, as one entity like, just as I could watch any of the other films, like, in one sitting. I mean, I always love that kind of continued haunt of Tommy being affected as a kid and then being haunted through his teenage years and then coming back and accidentally unleashing Jason and just creating this, like, storm of shit <laughs> you know it makes these like crazy three little movies but it always seemed to be for me the apex of the series and then from there I mean you had the Kane Hotter, you know Jason coming in and bringing something new into life and then you know New Line came in and the series just kind of took this turn and it's never been back since and I think that fans for a long time have been sitting around going yeah we'll take this new material but can we get back to where we were I mean, can we just pick up where we left off after departing and just kind of like wash away the memories of everything else and just keep the, the film going how it used to be?
0: Yeah. Well, what's what's wrong with um, Jason Goes to Hell?
1: <laughs> oh, for me, oh, I'm not a big Jason Goes to Hell fan. I think when when you have to, I think when you have to rewrite the character so much in one film that you that you've defeated the purpose. You're not working with the, with the source material you have. You're creating a bunch of new information that's not necessarily supported by any of the other films and made up just to support this one single theory. Um, and obviously it hasn't been repeated since. Um, and it's its own fun film within its own entity, but that's not the style of Friday the 13th film I want to see. Um, I don't want to see him as, you know, different guys jumping from body to yeah, body, no killing people as a doctor and stuff like that. I want to see him in the hockey mask. I want the costume to look really cool yeah. and I want the death to be really amazing. <laughs> and, and I want, I want to see things I haven't seen before. And that's what Friday the 13th did in the 80s. They took the death scene and they cranked it to 11 Yeah, and they were the lead, you know, and they were the lead. And then you had all the you know, all the films come in afterwards and try to top them and it just started this, like, ascent to who could do the craziest kills or who could do the most kills and, you know, it really created this great, um, uh, you know, not, I would not want to say camaraderie, but I want to say, uh, you know, rivalries between all, that's what I want to say, it's the rivalries between all these, these flasher films where they were trying to outdo each other and it was a fun time for horror and everybody was celebrating it because it was just getting crazier and crazier. And I think that that's what Friday brought to originally, and I think that it kind of lost that along the way, or it just lost its core values when it tried to, you know, just take a shtick for something, like sending him to space, hey, I love Jason X, it was the first one I ever got to see in theaters, but again, what I rather, like you were saying, would I rather see a film about Jason at camp, or would I rather see about a film about Jason in space? It's like, can we put him back in camp? Can we tell a story about there? Like, we really haven't been back to camp since the first films, like, never tried to reopen it ever again. I mean, isn't that a story that's so simple to tell and just have try to do that again for now? I mean, you know, for me, I, I think that, that that every time they try to come up with something new or try to come up with something that, that doesn't fit into the mold that's been created, it just always rubs fans the wrong way and we always walk away from the theater going like, yeah, it's kind of there, but it's not quite right because of X, Y, and Z. You know, I think that that leads to why, why we've been waiting so long for a Friday that's kind of come along and really reinvigorated the franchise to see that, like, they don't just make these one-off films anymore, that now if they're so good that you want to see the next film, and you want to see the next film, and you want to see those characters continue on and tell a continuous story, which is was always the fun part for me. Like I said, Tommy Jarvis, I love the fact that he carries through three different films and we follow the way that that tracks him. I'd like to see that again in the Friday the 13th.
0: Yeah, Jason, you know, Jason Goes to Hell is a big fuck you, because, like, the first five to ten minutes has, like, the best opening of all the Jason okay. movies, you know, it's 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 an awesome Jason movie for five to ten minutes, and then after that, it goes so down ill.
1: Yeah, and I understand that at that point, you know, that in that point in time, you know, Jason's stale. he's lost his appeal, they've seen the movie a thousand times, they made him fight Carrie, they made him go to, on a cruise, <laughs> and then go to New York, and then <laughs> You know, and then they wanted to do Freddie versus Jason, but they couldn't quite pull it off. So they do this to set it up. But in the meantime, they just they kinda hedge their bets too far and, and make a decision to say, like, hey, we really want to change things up and we think that we can we really got this a way that you know, a fun way we could say that How he survives all this stuff. And that's what sometimes happens. I mean sometimes they just go a little too far. <laughs> and and I would say that most Friday the Thirteenth fans agree that Jason goes to hell just really isn't um, really isn't like a true Friday fan film to them. Um, and I know for me, I mean, it's just it's the one I, I like the least. And you know, I appreciate like the effort, and there's a lot of fun things in the film. But as far as like it being Friday the Thirteenth as I remember it and I enjoy it, it's not it's not in that realm, and it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me in the way that the, the original Paramount films
0: did. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh let's talk about the campground, man, that's in your trailer because you're talking about how let's get back to let's get back to the camp and that's where you take us, man. You take us back to the campground. How did you how did you find such a perfect location?
1: We were tipped off to the location by a couple of locals because um, we were filming in their backyard. <laughs> um we went by and we were we were filming along this riverbed and these two, this couple came out and we were watching us film and we told them what we were up to and they, you know, and they were totally into it. They were like, yeah, come back there, do what you need to do. Like, just let us know when you're done and, and we'll help you out. And uh, as we were wrapping up, they were, they were asking what we are doing. So yeah, you know, we we're making a Friday the 13th fan film. We we're trying to try and release it, you know, this and that. And they said, oh, well, that's cool. Friday the 13th, are you guys going to film at the camp? <clears throat> and I was like, film at the camp? I'm like, we're not going to New Jersey. Like, you don't have that kind of money. And they're like, no, 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 down the street. There's an abandoned camp, you can probably just use it. I mean, it's just sitting up there, nobody goes up there. I was like, to be kidding me. And so, at this time, we were making our original trailer that we released for Friday the 13th in May of 2016, and we went home, finished that, released that, and then came back up to the mountain, researched where the camp was, ended up finding the access road, and found this camp just sitting out in the middle of nowhere. And after talking to some locals, and after talking to some local authorities, we said, hey, we're gonna be going up there with cameras and shooting stuff from time to time. We just wanna let you know that we're going up there. And you know, at the end of it, we wanna help clean up this campground because it's cool. Like this is a great find to find on a hiking trail, but there's broken glass everywhere. And there's things that are ready to fall on people's heads for us to film here, we need to make it safe. So in return, we'll fix up this camp and make it shoot ready. And then when we're done, we'll also fix it up and make it tourist ready. So we've got this kind of deal going where we're able to use it, but we're giving back and, and we're you know we're making the best kind of of the situation. And since we've been going up there for like six, seven months now, I mean, it's really become a second home and, and I love it up there. It's, it's so peaceful and it's crazy to think that this camp hasn't been in service since the 80s. Um, and just to walk around and think about like, man, like people used to walk through here and like, you know, this is a nurse's station. Like kids used to come in here and get, you know, bruises and cuts treated and, and all these different things. But now it's like filled with rat crap and, and there's dust everywhere and there's bats in the belfry, And, and all this, you know, all this stuff has just gone to waste. And, and, and that's how I kind of felt about the Friday the 13th series. It felt like, man, it's just sitting here and nobody's using it. It's like, Somebody should use this, and so that's kind of um,
0: that's kind of how we we kind of discovered it, and then we just took it from there and ran. Now, is there any way to get that uh, up and running again for for locals?
1: No, I doubt it. Um, it would take a severe investment to get that place back up on its feet. Um, everything's rotted away, the piping. the you know, this—I mean, they don't even have traditional bathrooms there. I mean, they have outhouses and things like that. So, I mean, I can't see that without. Somebody going up there with, you know, multi-million dollars, like, revamping it. I don't see him doing it.
0: So before this location find, you uh, weren't going to film at a campground then, huh?
1: No, it was, and that's when it was a much simpler short. We were going to probably do, like, a seven to ten minute short where he stumbles upon some cabins, and there was a cabin that we found that looked very much like a campground. Um, In fact, one of the cabins was used in a 1984 Nike commercial, um, that was about a slasher that attacks a girl and then the girl runs away and the slasher can't keep up because the girl's wearing Nikes. Um, they <laughs> used that cabin in, in this commercial. And so we're like, oh, this is perfect. I mean, this looks like Camp Crystal Lake. Like we can just think as it is one of the counselors' cabins and then we will run into each other here and then we'll start the chase and we'll go back out in the woods and we'll finish it in the woods. Um, and then once we found the camp, we knew that we needed to rewrite the entire thing. Now we could do interiors. Now we could, you know, bring the fight back to the camp. You know, places in the camp where we can have the fights of different scenes, and we can change it and, and, and contrast, like we're fighting inside, we're fighting outside, and, and then, you know, the different types of, of interactions that they have of sneaking around and then full on conflict and, and all these different um, scenes. So, like, we were able to, you know, not just expand it because we had more stuff, but we had more material to create. More
0: Yeah, and that, that uh, campground gives your trailer an authentic, you know, Friday the 13th fill as well, you know, so that's, mm-hmm. that's a great find, man. Can you talk about uh, the script? How many versions did you go through then?
1: Um, I think at the end of the day, we went through probably three or four. Because um, didn't you say you had, say
0: you part had part. one set in the 80s, and now this one's at, in present time, correct?
1: Yeah, so we, we had one that was on set in the 80s. We kind of had two. There was one that was on set in the 80s, and then there was the original Never had to love. Um, which was like more of a, a guy going out in the woods and and, um, and kind of recording stuff with his cell phone and things like that. And then once we found the the camp, we merged those two scripts together because one was longer than the other um, and, and kind of developed it from there. And then as we discovered more about the camp and we figured out more about our ending, um, we kind of wrote and constructed it off of there and there were different types of openings and there were different endings that we had We've written you know I will say this like we have gone back and forth on whether he's going to live or die we've had endings where he's been killed we've had an endings where he lives we've had endings where they both die like we have all this stuff and so like we we've gone through every single type of ending but we've landed on the ending that we think is the best and that was just completed maybe this January, we, we completed it after we had completed the Kickstarter and knew that we could afford to, to pull off what we wanted to do. Um, and then we've changed the opening a couple times. So, you know, through the process, we've written the script and then we've gone to set and we've explored the set and shot the scenes and discovered things on set and kind of rewritten as we've gone. Um, just to fit, you know, what we're capturing and, you know, what's in the moment and what we improv and the things we discover along the way. All, all in there so I mean the finalized script probably won't be done until we've actually finished shooting um, because who knows what we're going to discover in the next three or four shoots we have left um, and, and go from there so it's always constantly getting better but for the most part the story bones have been locked in since
0: January. Now this is essentially a one-on-one story correct? That's correct. So was it hard to balance out the action and the horror beats? because if the hiker dies it's game over right? Oh yeah if the hiker dies it's game over, but I think that
1: the way you do it is, you know, you have to establish your character, um, and you have to fall in love with them. and you can't attack them right, right out of the bat and figure out who this guy is. So, I mean, we do spend a little time doing exploration, and then once you discover the camp is its own, um, you know, it's its own entertainment, of seeing this camp uncovered piece by piece and discovering what's still there... And what our character's discovering and inching closer and closer to that threshold of Jason and the and the audience knowing it's coming and not knowing about which corner it's gonna happen in. And then once it gets going, it's a matter of what is realistic entertainment wise versus what is realistic, you know how we usually see Jason. But when we usually see Jason, you kill somebody in one swipe and it's done. So we needed a character and we needed situations where we could see a character battle Jason, um, but not do it in a way where it's, you know, goofy. You know, it, I mean, we don't want to have a, a situation where our characters like bust a rhyming, jump kicking him and stuff
0: like yeah. that and,
1: and having and doing all these parkour moves or anything like that. Like, it's a, it's a fist fight. I mean, it, it's a brutal, you know, you know, fight between two, you know, between a man and an overgrown beast. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's whatever is there. We know, you know, we know Jason has his limitations and our characters fast. So we try to use that dynamic to create realistic fight situations where our character can not, you would never even imagine our character being able to knock Jason out with a punch, but he might be able to knock him off balance enough to get away.
0: Yeah, and this guy just sounds like he wants to survive, right?
1: Yeah, and and that's what it comes down to. It's not about him beating Jason and standing over him and and K-O-N. It's about getting away.
0: So that's awesome you said this.
1: Winning is survival.
0: It's awesome you said that descent was an influence because I didn't read that anywhere um, that's just one of my favorite movies or one of my favorite uh, ways to deal with protagonists I should say and uh, I think it's just a, it's a it's a great it's a great beat within a horror film and I get that vibe off of never hike alone and I, I, I just love that man where you have this guy who's just faced with this threat and it's not about killing him it's about surviving you know and I think that makes for a great Jason movie.
1: Yeah, us too, and we think that that ultimately that's what um, that's what Friday the Thirteenth is about. It's about like no matter how you know how rough it may seem, all your friends are dead. You're the last one left. Like if you you can survive, no matter how bad it gets, you can survive. And you know that's the task for our character is no matter how bad it gets, no matter what Jason does to him, no matter what the woods does, does do to him, because that's the other element. I mean, here it's not only Jason Voorhees; it's the fact that you're in the middle of a forest and. You know, without spoiling too much, her character ends up in the middle of the forest without all of that fancy gear that he's had the entire time. So now he's just him as an animal in the forest having to survive and get back to his his gear. Um, And so what he's going to do, you know? if he has injuries, how does he deal with them? And if he doesn't have his maps, how does he find his way home? And so it becomes this dynamic of like, it's either do or die. I either have to go back and I have to do this or I die. I will literally die if I don't, Get out of this situation. Jason doesn't have to come and kill me, the forest will do it for me. Yeah. I will get dehydrated. I will freeze to death. I will bleed to death. You know, all these different factors that before Jason even enters into the equation are, you know, obstacles enough.
0: Now, what can we expect from the Jason character? Are you gonna explore any of the supernatural or are you just gonna go straight classic Jason Voorhees?
1: I mean it's pretty classic Jason Voorhees, but he's definitely undead. Um we wanna play it as, you know, he's yeah, I mean, at this point, he's what
0: seventy-one years old. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you know, we, he's not—he's not out there with a cane or anything, but he's
1: continuing to decay, and he's continuing to there. But he's still—he's still wandering there, and he's—he's he's lost. Um, you know, for us, Jason in this film has basically been cut off from all society. And Camp Crystal Lake has been cut off from all society, so he's actually been at rest, at peace for all these years, just staying at the camp and just staying by his mother's side. And when this guy enters into the camp, somebody who, you know, like we said, between the films, when Jason is just let, you know, when they just let him be, I guess you could say, you know, he's fine. And then when you cross into his territory, things start to get shaky. And then if you start to cross the line, that's when things get that's when you know that's when he that's when he steps in and for us it's like our jason is not a robot he's not a mindless killer i mean he still is you know partially the the guy we remember from parts two three and four that has somewhat of a personality that has curiosity that has you know interest and when kyle first shows up he doesn't have an inkling to attack him And that's just-
0: You've been so married to the uh, to the material for so long. Is there anything about the Friday the Thirteenth mythos you want to see explained, or should we just keep it mysterious? I mean, I think
1: that there's there's moments. Thank I
0: don't you. want to spend any yeah. time on that. I want to spend on the fact that somebody's crossing the Crystal Lake and now
1: they're going to pay. And the only thing they need to get me into that theater is they just need to give them a good reason. And they need to put together a good cast that I'm going to sit behind and watch and be entertained by. And then say, yeah, you know what, I like these kids. This is a fun movie. I like what they're up to. I like what they're doing. And, oh, shit, now they're screwed. Yeah, because
0: they, they just <laughs> go really too. And, and <laughs>
1: watch them go down one by one and and you know, have the fun with it. And I think that that's part of it. I think that when, when you have Friday the 13th, you have to remember to have fun. And exactly. As, you know, as serious as we took some of the stuff from Never Hiked Alone, we were always like, we need to have some fun with this. We need to push this and, like, really, you know, really make something of it. So, like, we pushed it. We tried to get some humor in the film. We really pushed the, you know, the comedy with our character, you know, in, in a fun, hearted way. But also, like... What Jason does, and, and the way we we hurt our character and stuff like that, we're really going to play with the audience. I think they're going to appreciate some of the some of the jab that we're going to take at
0: him. Yeah, I think it's so important to, like you said, have fun with this with this classic character because if they put this on the big screen, man, it would turn into something like, you know, Rob Zombie. If they're trying to explain his origins or his daddy issues, you know, his daddy would probably make him sit in a corner and, and masturbate and eat dead animals, and yeah. you know, just something stupid that I don't even give a shit about, you know. So I think, I think it's so yeah. smart just to, to, yeah. to give us something fresh and exciting. Don't explore the origins of Jason. I just don't think there's anything interesting there.
1: I think, you know, I think what is interesting is the relationship between mother and son. I think if that was somehow relatable into the film where you can see Pamela and Jason, I don't think fans would, I don't think, fans would be angry if they saw more Pamela and I don't think that they'd be angry if they saw more Pamela and Jason in that way just not in a way that says like this is how they became supernatural they were doing devil you know rituals together and that's how they got this way but more of the fact that like this film comes down to and all this series comes down to a bond between a single mother and her you know mentally challenged son and her deformed son and this bond that they had and all they had in this world was each other and then one of them was taken away and ever since that happened, it's been nothing but bloodshed. And it's all because of this separation, the death of this boy, the death of this mother, bringing back this kid from the dead. All of this rage driven by the fact that these two were separated from each other and all this has been built off of that. If they explored that and they really focused on on the drive and like that's what's pushing Jason, I think that Friday the 13th fans would, would appreciate that and accept that because it's true. I mean, that's what bonds them together and we love when when Pamela kind of interacts with Jason's world because we see that she still has that influence on them we see that like Pamela you know Jason still hears her so like like she heard him in, in the first films and like we would imagine these things but that's kind of like what it's like in Jason's head a little bit I don't think that would be a bad thing as, as long as it wasn't the entire film yeah, like yeah. I don't want to see the, you know I don't want to see Jason show up on page 69 and be like okay we got 20 minutes left. let's see if we can get done with this you know yeah. like that's
0: Yeah, you make it sound interesting, but in my head, I see the uh, the twenty three million dollar picture where they go for shock value, where they're praying to the devil and you know, like poking Jason Voorhees with hot pokers or something. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that one of the things I, I read that I really enjoyed in the *Nasty Trip* uh, script was when Pamela was walking home with Jason. That was, I mean, take the script for what you wanted. I mean, as far as the like role and different people's roles, it was just if there's anything I can of that script them walking home was such a beautiful scene, I think, for fans of Friday the 13th to just see for once Jason and Pamela together and what their life was like before all this happened. And I think that that's, it kind of shows you, I mean, I think it sympathizes you with the character a little bit, and Jason has always been somewhat sympathetic because he is the victim now coming back to victimize, um, but and that's why so many people sympathize with him. Um, but this would really put it into the perspective of why he does what he does and why he doesn't stop. It's because his mother was killed and he was killed by these counselors and now he has to continue on that rage. Um, and I think as long as the, if they want to give him motivation and want to see that going through and they can pull through that Pamela in a way that's interesting as the film progresses, that or as a way to figure out why Jason does what he does, that's okay. I think when you just make up something to be like, oh, well... You know, Elias always knew he was going to be evil, so he tried to kill him, and then, you know, like in the script, and then he became the killer, and it just seemed like, wait, what?
0: Like, that <laughs> yeah. exactly.
1: and, like, if he wanted to stop him from killing, then why is he now killing? Like, what's going on? Is Jason controlling his mind? I don't remember Jason being able to control minds. What's going on here? So, <laughs> you know, I just think that any time you put something in the film that makes the fans go, wait a second, this doesn't feel right, it's like a good, or when you're writing and you're like, oh, I think the fans are probably not going to appreciate this. Um, you have to really stop and check because at the end of the day, we all love Friday the Thirteenth in our own way, but it's a collective love. And if you're going to create something for Friday the Thirteenth, you have to take the fans into acknowledgement. And you can't just make something because you think it works for your story, and your story is somehow going to be, you know, the criminal of the prime of Friday the Thirteenth, and we'll just forgive you for it. No, you have to be really careful with the material. I mean, look what they did with Star Wars when they brought in Metachlorians. They yeah. did all these things. Look at the reactions from the fans that they got. And when they reset and they brought the new, the new films, they left all that to the wayside and they got back to the simpler form of, of why people love Star Wars. And I think that through the... 90s and 2000s and we did that to horror films and we did that to sci-fi films we, we we tried to add too much logic and we tried to go into the psyche and figure out what's under the skin and do all these things and we just forgot how to have fun and i like i'm starting to see a lot of films that come back and are starting to do that like i watched up the valley of violence the other day ty west that was the most fun western i've watched in a long time so
0: i wanted to see that, that man i haven't fun. had a chance to see that yeah. yet
1: yeah it's a great and, and you know what again we're talking about films that don't need a large budget to do what they need yeah. to do the Blumhouse feature probably made for less than five million dollars Ethan Hawk in the lead great supporting cast small enclosed set cool story very simple and you get what you want you get a nice western that's told very much like the old spaghetti western. and today it's like we still want to see those movies but we watched the good the bad and the ugly a thousand times we've watched once upon a time that was a thousand times we've watched Friday the 13th part 4 a thousand times but we want to see Friday the 13th part 4 in 2017 but what does Friday the 13th part 4 look like in 2017 what does Friday the 13th look like if we want to capture that old magic in today's world so I think that that was a challenge for Never Had Alone. It's like, how do we capture that magic, but not just go back and one-for-one one it, but get the spirit? And if we can get the spirit in the film, the rest will take care of itself and all the new things we bring cinematography-wise. Um, that's going to be the new thing we bring to the feature and we, we bring the old old spirit. And let's see if those two marry together. And I think
0: they will. Yeah, and that's what I love about Never Hike Alone. It's a, it's a simple premise, but it's it's the best premise. I th- I think it's just getting back to the heart of it. Let's get back to Jason. Let's go to a current time. Let's have a guy stumble upon the old ruins of Camp Crystal Lake, and you got a nice tight little movie. You know, you brought up Ty West. He's a simple filmmaker. You know, he's not. You know, he, he does things with a tight budget. And then you look at another western that came out uh, a year or two ago, Bone Tomahawk. Tight script. Uh-huh. You know, and just a very simple premise, and I think we just need to get back to the to the simple, you know, ways of filmmaking, you know, and and start losing these crazy ideas. You know, sometimes crazy's good, you know, but not all the time. I think yeah. it, it's it's time to get back to a simple Jason.
1: Yeah, and I think that at the same time, I think that the studios are starting to like with Rings. I mean, they tried to bring Rings back, and it didn't do as well. And Rings is not Friday the
0: Thirteenth. No, yeah, I yeah dude, I love that. Why, yeah,
1: you know, I. I no, I think that was one mistake that Paramount made was trying to bank it on that. Although oh, I do see from their perspective what we talked about before is that, you know, we're really going to put $25 million into rebooting another film. And, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And, and and they just said, no, we're, we're going to just, you know what, we're going to scrap, we're going to rethink this whole thing. It didn't work with Rings. You know, Friday the 13th might do well, but it's probably not going to do as well as we want it to. We'd rather make a $5 million feature and get the Blumhouse returns than try to gamble on one, of the, one more of these. Um, and that's what they did. And and so now when they go back to it, they're going to re-examine it. And I think that one thing that they're going to have to examine is who are Friday the 13th fans these days? How many of them are there? How many of them are going to go to the theater? Is the theater the best way to reach the Friday the 13th fans?
0: That's yeah, true.
1: Do we, you know, it, and, and we're looking at it and we constantly have those questions when, Every company I've worked at, everybody talks about, what do you think about film? What do you think about digital media? How, what do you think about streaming? What do you think about this? And everything's going to streaming. And a lot of people love the streaming world. It, ex- it allows them to explore the stories that they've always wanted to explore because they can go into long form. They can get showrunners and tell a, you know, a story over seasons rather than, all right, you got 90 minutes. And you know, I don't know if Friday the 13th is... is you know, I know they're trying to do the TV show, which is interesting. They want to turn that into a series. But, you know, Friday the
0: 13th is such a theater experience. Friday the 13th is such a group horror experience. Yeah, it is. That. It is. It, it is destined for the
1: theater. And, it, and it's a, desi- it, you know, it's, for me, it's a destination movie. It's the one you want to go see with all your friends. You want to bring your date to these films. Um, and it should, you know, in return, give you the entertainment value that you need to, that you pay for um, and for Friday the Thirteenth, it's usually a guarantee. You know, whether it's good or bad. You know, with all that being said, whether whether our the films, when you walk out of there, I mean, they definitely they never hold back, um, and they usually try to push it. And so, I think that that's one thing you can appreciate from any Friday the Thirteenth film. And I think that that's really what they need to do. They just need to keep pushing it and and you know come up with what's next.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point, though. Like if uh, like, say, Jason, the next Friday the 13th went to Netflix. Yeah, I'd watch it for sure. But I would rather go to the theater. We have a drive in about 30 minutes yeah. away from here. I'd love to see it in the drive in. You know, it's, it's a theater experience. Get your friends together, man, and go watch a Jason movie, you know. So yeah, I'd watch it on Netflix, but it's just not gonna have the same punch, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, for for us, Friday the 13th definitely belongs in the theaters. And I think that, you know, for me, with Never Hike Alone, I I saw it as an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? You know, if Friday the 13th wants to stay connected with fans, you know, maybe the internet and maybe some shorts like Never Hike Alone, things that are in this nature, um, maybe that's not a bad thing to produce either. Every now and then come up with, like, a nice 30, 45-minute short that, you know, does something different or shows us something that probably wouldn't go to the big screen or maybe isn't built for the big screen, but a show I think of a story like this. I mean, you could you know, for our budget and what we had, like we couldn't, you know, we've had people suggest like, oh, why isn't he running into other hikers? Why does he do this? Why does he do that? It's like, well, you know, if you want to give us money, I'll upgrade in 10 more hikers and we'll kill them all. It's like, you know, that's fine. But for us, with our budget and our story, we thought, you know, short form is the best way to tell this story because eventually we're going to run out of road. And how many times are we going to keep getting able to rehash the same scene? We only want to see things once and then we want to move on. And our film does that. We move on. We have, you know, each fight is different in its own way. Each interaction is different in its own way. And then once we get to the end of what we've written, we end the story. We don't try to just, you know, re-up and try to go back in and extend it just to extend it. We want to make sure that we're, we're building something for our running time. And our running time reflects what we should be doing. Um, and I think that with Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not every story about these characters need to be an hour and a half. You know it's a lot like the comics the comics are what 20 or 30 pages and a lot of them would make great little short films you know and it doesn't have to be connected to the original canon Can you imagine somebody putting together like a live-action version of red face versus jason
0: <laughs> yeah. and how many people would watch that on youtube yeah yeah You know, how many people would watch these different
1: films about pamela and you know different you know different versions of jason and different different realms where they can explore where it's kind of a little bit more forgiving because when you go to the theater, it's not forgiving. When you go to the theater, it feels so like, well, they're putting this one in stone. I mean, this is this is going into Friday the 13th history right here. So, like, this is the next, en- you know, entry on the tablet, especially for number 13. Like, what's the 13th Friday the 13th going to be? And so it becomes like, that has to be a special film. We have to have a special project that everyone loves. But with these smaller projects, you can kind of be like, you know what, like, yeah, let's do a sequel that Jason goes to hell. Fuck it. Like, let's just attack those fans. Like those fans of Jason go to hell, maybe there's a hundred thousand of them. But you know what? We can get those hundred thousand to watch this version of it, and if we make this short for a hundred thousand dollars, bet you we can make our return back. Yeah. So I think that there's something to say about that and the fact that you can not only kind of sublet the entire Friday the 13th franchise fans for creating content with them with big films. But you can even go to individual films and individual ideas and say, listen, we can make smaller projects and still get to the fans and keep them interactive. And I think that's, you know, one of the things we've done with Bobstock is... Through this film, we've been making sure to interact and connect with fans, and show them pictures from set, and answer their questions. And you know, we get a lot of emails asking us about how we did what we did. And you know, it's always good to interact. And I think that that's one of the best parts of this is the fan interaction and how involved they get. And I think if fans have something to be involved with, like with the game that just came out, they're going to rally behind it, and they're going to see it through, and they're going to see it, you know, to actual production. Um, And that's. Special. and i think when a property has that type of fandom that it's a disservice to go nine years and not have a product to deliver to your fans luckily we got the game this year and that's an official license friday project so we should all be proud of that um but yeah we we could have had a movie and maybe we should have had two or three more in between you know what i mean shannon and swift follow-up to the 2009 you know we had um David Bruckner's version of the film. I mean, if you want to go, if, whether it ended up being found footage or the non-found footage version, yeah. they had a film there. And then you had this new one with uh, with Kazanowski and um, uh, Brett Eisner, um, which would have been its own thing. Three completely different films. I yeah.
0: mean, the and, whole way. And maybe it's best, you know too, what? because I, I know that, I think Paramount, loses rights this year if they didn't make a film it's one of those deals I believe don't quote me on it but uh, I'm, I'm very curious sometimes that's not good when you're just trying to rush out a movie just to hit your release target you know um, so you can keep the rights so maybe it's better to, to switch studios you know
1: well I mean all. I think that the most important thing I think one thing with Platinum Toons is there was no short of love for Friday the 13th there I just think that they had a, a struggle to get that in front of the theater they were trying to From what I could tell from every time they went with a project, they always seemed like they were behind it, they were behind what they were developing. They just couldn't get the yes from Paramount. And it just seemed like Paramount didn't want to make these movies. And they just ran it out to its end. And that's unfortunate because the people who paid were the fans. You know, those guys over at Platinum Dunes who tried to produce four different versions of that movie and couldn't get an approval on any of them. And then got to the starting line with the last one and then got pulled off. I mean that's got to be tough. Yeah. You know, especially when you know. I mean, say what you want about the 2009 film. I have my mixed feelings about it as well. But everything I've seen from Platinum Dunes with those guys Andrew Form and Brad Fuller. You know they were always enthusiastic about Friday the Thirteenth, and I always appreciated that. You know, Shannon and Swift, big fans, like of the series, and they're always and they were into it. Todd Farmer and going back to all the people who have recently put things together for this franchise, there's a lot of love for the franchise there, and you can feel it. Um, and it just stinks that we haven't been able to see them turn that into more material, because I think that with more material, we would have discovered more, and at least we would have had more to talk about. Um, but we go so long, like. I don't think a bad Friday
0: the 13th film is going to ruin Friday the 13th. Yeah. If Jason goes to hell did it, nothing's going to stop it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, Jason
1: never dies. Even bad films cancel film. <laughs> they can't kill Jason. So, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it's just just release it and, and let the fans have it and then learn from it. And then when you make the next one, make it better. That, yeah. That's just the, that's the
0: rule. I hope that uh, they didn't get Cold Feet Paramount because of Rings, though, because... You know what? This is episode, I think, 212. You know, we talk for an hour, two hours every week, and I've never heard anybody say, Brad, you know what I want? Brad, I really want a Rings movie. You know? I've never heard anybody say that, but I have heard people say, man, I wish we could have this resurgence in our horror icons like Michael Myers and and Jason. So I hope it's not Cold Feet because of Rings, because that's some bullshit. (laughs) Well, I don't think we have to worry about it. And the rights holders of Friday the Thirteenth
1: don't want to see their property not make any money and not come out and, and be in, be a part of what's about to happen. Because yes, Halloween is now being rewritten by Danny McBride and the director of, of Pineapple Express, and they're shooting for next year, and John Carpenter is involved. And you know they're saying a lot of the same things that we're saying today. It's you know, they're going back to the originals. We want to, you know, pick up from part two and we want to do a direct sequel to that and, 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 and just basically forget everything that happened
0: after that. You know, just like H2O did we're going to forget about H2O too. Yeah. So, you know, it's
1: just, I think that, That's where the horror is going, and Friday the 13th knows it has to go there, and it has to get out there, and it has to compete. Because if people are going to go see Halloween, they're going to go see Friday the 13th, they're going to go see Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they're going to go see whatever else comes out. And it's upon the studios to put together these teams and trust them and let them create content and then release it. And, you know, I've worked in studios in the studio system for the last ten years and I've seen what happens, you know, a lot of people get involved in a project and everyone has the best intentions, but not everybody has the same idea of where the project needs to go. And I think with these large films now where they came out of being, you know, what was you know, right at thirteenth was a seven hundred thousand dollar feature and you know, most of them were made for under five million for most of their lives and usually in this realm where nobody really cared, they just made the film, so whatever came out, came out, and now there's such revered properties that everybody wants to be protective of it, so everybody kind of wants their spin on it, and there's so many masters to serve with who owns the rights to this, and who owns the rights to that, and and how do you get all these entities that now have a stake in the game to agree on one thing? It's a very tough thing to do, and that's what makes producing so hard. You know, the for us, what we have is we're a fan film. Nobody can really tell us what to do yeah. except for us, and we're just fans talking to us, and we hold ourselves accountable. And I think if you look at some of the the best films that come out in these years, it's the filmmakers who are allowed to go fail, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's not the ones who are who are you know they're so well protected and they gotta you know overlook every single decision. It's the fact that he said, "Okay, listen, you." we're hiring you to do this project, deliver the project. And they deliver the project, they release it, and they get the reaction they get, and they move on. Great great case scenario, get out. Yeah, you know, true. You know, you know, he was allowed to make the film he wanted to make, and nobody got in his way. And the reason why nobody got in his way is because he made it for what, $3 million?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and nobody cares. That's a drop in the bucket. When you're making, you know, 15 films with $3 million, you're banking on just one of them to do well and make the budget back for all of them. And that's what Get Out did. So for all the small films that Blumhouse releases, at those small categories, they might not make any of their money back. But if one hits Get Out, now they're flush.
0: Look at Split. Yeah. Split just raked in in the money.
1: Say that
0: again. Split? Like Split was made for, you know, change. And it's like, it's big money.
1: Yeah. And so now they have two hits. And, you know, then they do The Conjuring. Insidious and, and they have in The Purge and these films that now have cult followings and, and have that franchise potential and they know that once they've been franchised they need to continue the story and I think that they, they put story first they put character first and that by the time they put their characters in situations where they're in a dire situation you care about them and you want to see them survive and you don't know how they're going to get out and it makes it interesting and so that I think that they have a really great formula and it's not It's not overly complicated. It's just about trusting in filmmakers and letting them pursue a vision. You know, I look at something like Hush. You know, for me, like, I don't know how well Hush did as far as it's run theatrically, but that was a film that's like, it's not one that's easy to sell. It's like, all right, I'm going to do a whole film about a death girl who's being pursued by this guy for 90 minutes. You know, that's that's, that's a risk. But when, like I said, you allow a filmmaker to just do it, you just trust in them. You have to allow them to, create that vision and make it its best. And I think he was up for a while to direct a new Halloween. And he's a very good director and he's going to keep working, but he was allowed. In a studio system, a film like that would never get made. because yeah. too many people would walk in and say, no, listen, I could use that $3 million to make my movie. And we yeah. should spend it on that because no one's going to, no one's going to buy that movie and here are all the marketing reasons why. And, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is, it, I want my idea to be made, my force, and it becomes that battle. And I think, you know, at Paramount Friday lost that battle. It was just a low tier. You know, they they weren't really. It wasn't high on their totem pole. They had a lot of things going on over that studio, and you know, for them, they just they weren't interested in making Friday the 13th films anymore. Now it returns to Warner Brothers and New Line. We'll see what they do because now a new production company needs to step in and take ownership of it. Um, as much as I love Blumhouse, they have Halloween, so I feel like it's almost like. They can't have Friday the 13th. They can't have both. Yeah. So someone has to kind of come in and laugh a Blumhouse and take them for Friday the 13th and, you know, bring us back to the theater and let us have a good time again. I think that that's, that's ultimately what the fans are looking for right now.
0: Have you had any issues with <laughs> Paramount? Are they cool with fan films? Well, luckily for us, we've not heard a word from Paramount, so that, that's good for us. Yeah. Um, and as far
1: as Paramount goes, they're next back. Um, I know that they have issues with a lot of the Star Trek stuff that happened yeah um, I know one one film raised one point two million dollars so and when you start raising that much money, you're stepping into a uh, you're stepping into a very dangerous game um, with with being able to compete with the franchise and I think from the start, you know we've been very transparent that we wanted to you know, We're following the rules that Paramount even set for themselves. They said that, you know, you guys do fan films. We love them. We appreciate when you guys do them. I think that studios appreciate the love that fans give because at the end of the day, it's free marketing for them. You know, they don't have to spend a dime, and they're not going to lose anything because they own the rights. So if they want the idea, they can have it. And as far as we go, that's the deal that we know we're making. We know we're not making this for profit. We know we're not making this for any financial gain. What we're doing is we're making it because we think it's a good idea for a movie and we're big fans and this is how we want to celebrate and for me I've always you know been pushing into the direct into being a director and I've been working in different creative ventures but never being able to take that mantle and I said listen Mark, if there's one thing that I know how to direct or if there's one thing I know that I can creatively leave to Friday the 13th film so why don't we do that I'm going to take this on as my magnum opus and and we're going to see where it comes out and see where I turn out as a director. And it's been, you know, a challenge and, and it's been one that's had ups and downs, but the more we go on, the more I learn. And I think that, you know, what, how we've grown as a team and how we've grown as a company um, has been has paid dividends already from what we've done. And when we release the film, you know I'm really proud of the progress that we've made and the ability to create some of the pictures that we're creating. Um, I think you guys will be really impressed with the scenes um, and the cinematography and just the storytelling. you know all that comes from telling studios you know telling stories of other studios, but just now being able to do it on my own.
0: Right on. Were you able to use the title "Friday the 13th on any posters, or is that start running into some issues? You no. Know, if I if I say like, "Hey, I'm Friday the 13th, I, I will get
1: to I, I will get into big trouble. What I what I do is, uh, you know, we keep the the title "Never Hike Alone," but often we'll follow it with the tagline "A Friday the Thirteenth Fan Film." Yeah. Um, we put that at the forefront of everything. We let everybody know, "Hey, this is a fan film. We're not affiliated. This is just made for you know releasing for free. It will be on." You know, the internet for free where we're going to watch eventually. Um, and the only thing that we're doing as far as, like, um, the release goes for our Kickstarter backers is they get a first look.
0: So they will be able to see it first a little bit before it comes out for everyone else to see. Okay, well, Will we be able to hear the iconic Jason Voorhees theme, or do you run into red tape there?
1: There's red tape there. We're we're researching that. Uh, originally, I was like, well, let's not touch any of the music because um, I don't want to get into the legal bind. Although I've heard that as long as you're non-profit, you have certain legal rights to use certain things. Um, but we do have a composer for this film. His name's Joe DiBiase. Uh, he's a good friend of the, our, our producer, Kyle Klein, and he composed the score for American Sniper. So we're definitely going to allow him to come in and create our own theme for Never Hype Alone, but trying to, again, take the spirit of Harry Manfredini's um, original score and work with, you know, a lot of strings. Um, maybe okay. we can get some horns in there, um, depending on how much budget we have left over. But we want that classical style feel to our to our score, and that's what we want to give it. And, um, and we think that, that that's very important to us. So we know Joe's going to do a good job. And as far as like Kill Kill Mama stuff, Um, we also have to watch ourselves with that, but I think if we create our own version of it, um, we can get away with it.
0: All right. Now, I was doing some research today on IMDB and it says that you play Jason. Is that right? That's correct. Oh, that's badass, man. How did you tap into that character? Uh,
1: it came from building my own costume and doing some cosplay. And then as we were doing research for the short, um, I was always wearing my costume and and doing all the stand-in stuff and, and acting out the parts. And the more I did it, the more I got into the role, and the more I started to, you know, watch some of the other actors and kind of figure out how art Jason moves and, and go from there. And then I also do a lot of sharing of the role with a stunt actor by the name of Brian Forrest. Um, some of the scenes are very complicated from a, from a camera standpoint, and for me to be in the costume and also directing camera is very tough. So. Quite often when it comes to some of the more in-depth fighting where we have very complex camera moves, that's when I turn it over to Brian and he does a lot of the fighting. Um, and then I'm behind the camera with uh, with the camera operators moving them through the fights and sequencing the fights and choreographing with the same coordinator, uh, Jeff Bennett, um, to get the, the fights to look real and fun. But, you know, I'm in and out. So we switch off. I mean, I'm in the fights, he's in the fights. I do a lot of like, the like I've kind of mastered like the walk and coming through the forest and a lot of the pursuit stuff and more more the in tight angles and then when we're doing more fighting and stunts where characters <laughs> and our actors are in physical danger, we turn that over to our stunt actors and we let them do what they need
0: to do. You know, it sounds so small, but I bet there's um, uh, an art to the way that he walks, though, isn't there? If, you, if since you've been married to you know all the films and watching them, you know, there's there's an art to the way Jason moves, isn't there?
1: There is, there is an art to the way Jason moves, and everybody, and every Jason moves different. I mean, from Richard Berger to Ted White, you know, C.J. Graham to Kane Hodder. You know, if you look at the original kind of core, and even, you know, Steve Dash um, and the way he moves, um, you can see a progression of, 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 of the way Jason has, has become what kind of Kane put together in the end. And for us, we wanted to... Put a little bit of the humanism back into it, so I try to bring that back into the stride a little bit. A little, see, I think you'll see a little bit of the, the Ted White, Richard Booker in there with the, the stride in there. But we don't do any running, you know. Our Jason, you know, undead Jason, doesn't run. But if he was alive and well, he would run. But he can power walk like a son of a bitch. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and then, you know, with Jason, you, you know, I often find that you have to your movements have to be controlled, um, and. And you can't be whipping around. You can't move too fast. I don't I don't think Jason moves very fast. He moves very controlled and it's almost unnerving the way he moves. Like it's almost like it's always that slow turn towards you. It's always the slow turn here or it's you know, if it's quick, it's it's still a controlled quick. And I think it's, it's like often when you're playing Jason, you have to take into account, you know, every piece of like you, the way your legs are, are postured, the way your hands are postured, your shoulders, your neck, your head—everything has to be in a certain alignment because he has a certain outline and he has a certain shape to him. Um, he's not—you know—he doesn't stand straight up like Michael Myers does. You know, he has a little bit of a hunch to him. He has a little bit of a lead. He doesn't walk perfectly straight. He doesn't walk like a robot. So he leads with a certain side, and there's certain things that we did to kind of give him like a very natural feel to him without making him feel like a robotic killer that just walks around and stabs things that are close to him, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Well, what, what makes a Jason mask? Did you bring over any battle damage from the other films?
1: You no, know, I think for us, we reset the mask. Um, I went and I, I created a mask from scratch with GFX in Louisiana, um, composite effects. They were great. Um, I reached out to maybe three or four different studios before they said yes and got turned down a bunch of times. And you know, I sent them a bunch of old hockey masks from the 60s, and I said, listen, like, this is where the the real Jason mask came from. I've, I've purchased a lot of reproductions, I've purchased some ones that are specifically like the film, and every time I put it on our costume, it just doesn't feel right. We need to do something new, and I want to try and pull something that feels like it's an actual, real hockey mask. Like, some of these masks actually feel like you couldn't actually wear them on the ice and actually be protected. We wanted something thick. We wanted to feel like it was part of the camp or somebody left it behind or it was a piece there. And so, I mean, to a certain degree, it's not said on film, but I wouldn't call the mask that he's wearing in the film, the original mask. It's a mask he's been wearing for a long time, but as we know, through the film, the original mask was destroyed. And there's even theories out there that like, it hasn't been the real mask since part four, and that the real mask is somewhere at the police station somewhere. I've heard different things here and there. So he's been wearing different masks throughout time. We saw it snap in half at the end of seven, at part eight, melted away. So he's just replaced it with one that's very similar, but we wanted to give it an updated feel, but at the same time, this mask is just as old as the camp. It's just as old as Jason. So it's old, it's faded, the chevrons have washed away, and now all it is is this bone-white mask that sits on top of this rotting face.
0: So, so don't give me any spoilers, okay? But does your mask get some battle damage?
1: Um... No, we don't, we, we, it was too expensive to try and chop up the mask anyway,
0: but we do get the
1: mask. We, we actually did have a take during one of the fight scenes where Andrew, uh, the, the the actor who plays um, Kyle, actually punched Brian in the face with the mask on, and he split his knuckle and actually knocked some of the paint off the nose, so we had to repaint the nose on set, but luckily we keep it back a backup mask, so we switched off the mask for that scene, but we did knock some of the paint off and had to paint it back in for continuity. But we don't do any we didn't want to destroy the mask in any specific way. Not necessarily because we didn't want to, but more because of price and continuity yeah. and our ability to go back and reshoot. We wanted to make sure that it was specific and gotcha. you know, for us it was like if this isn't the exact master from part four, then it doesn't have the axe mark. So he has a new one and but this new one is also 20, 30 years old and it's been underwater and it's been under dirt and it's been crummy and, and old. So it's you know, it's just as old as the rest of the camp.
0: As a director, talk about the cinematography. Visually, what makes a Friday the 13th film?
1: That's a great question. I think that for for most of the. What really drives a Friday the 13th film from a camera angle is suspense. um, It's hanging the audience in suspense long enough for them to build up enough tension to have Jason pop out at the right moment or misdirect. You think Jason's with one character, but he's actually with another character. Um, You know, one of my favorite shots in. All of the Friday the 13th is so simple. It's um, the character, the wheelchair character is on the porch, and all they're doing is dollying in from both sides. And you don't see the killer, but you know the killer is around. And eventually, you're in this wide and you just push all the way into this tight shot. And then the machete comes out of nowhere and he's rolling downstairs. Um, I wouldn't say that cinematically that. Friday the 13 has gone to add grand scope to their films other than, you know, Freddy vs. Jason did it because it had that epic feel to it but I think what Never High Golem does different is we did our best to add scope not just to like, hey, we just want to make this 2 version film and we want to fly drones but we wanted to give the sense of we're out in the middle of nowhere so we needed that scope we needed to feel like we were way out in the distance and then when it came to shooting Jason we wanted to make him feel larger than life so we wanted to take those cinematic techniques and and deliver that to the character that will make us feel a new, make us feel something new for the camp and make it feel where it is in the world, Jason, and how we see him cinematically. But when it comes to tracking our character and the things that happen to him, everything comes down to tension with camera. You know, you, you'll see our cameras as we do these scenes, like... As they start, they're, they're wide, and by the time you're done, we're really tight. And we're always getting claustrophobic, and everything's closing in around our character. And so we really try to use that, which is a classic Friday and horror technique, um, to build up suspense. And, and I think that that's, that's, where we're, that's where we run the same line.
0: Well, I really want to see this, man. Where can we find Never Hike Alone?
1: Never Hike Alone will be released directly to the public on YouTube and Vimeo. Um, and we will have it, um, we'll have it running on our website at www.stopfilms.com. And you'll find links to everything you'll need, um, there.
0: Well, you think that'll be released this year? Are you looking for
1: 2017? Oh yeah, it'll definitely be released in 2017. We complete filming, um, in the middle of July. Once we complete filming and I have, I know I have all my footage in the can, um, you know, no emergencies happen. in the, you know, from now until our shooting dates, um, we should be able to hit a specific, um, Uh, release date and then once we get all of our footage I'll release the release date and then we'll push towards that release
0: Is there any way that Video can can support this project?
1: Um, Right now I would say follow us on Instagram and Facebook Uh, support our social media just keep keep our numbers going up as far as our numbers go that helps us raise awareness for the film and um and get it out there to more people and the friday fans who don't know about this film who haven't seen the trailers yet um we definitely want to get them on board and we want to show them that you know there's something coming out for them this year um and as far as support goes we've already done kickstarter but we are looking at making some of our leftover um rewards available to people who want them we've had a couple people show up and say hey i missed the kickstarter but i'd love a shirt or i'd love a poster um we're going to do the best to make those available on our website um that will still go towards um you know completing the film and then also going towards penny pines reforestation program where a portion of the proceeds will directly go to
0: is there anything that i haven't brought up that you want our listeners to know about
1: No, I mean, I think we've we've covered everything. I mean, if they just want to know, I mean, we're just a bunch of fans who, you know, took a gamble on this, and we've been on it for about a year now. Um, It started last May, um, really, when we really got started. Maybe April, May, we started to do our research, and we were ready to shoot by October, and it's been a ride. And, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs, but, you know, a lot of fans have reached out to us, and so and really encouraged us along the way. And it's been... You know, the Friday the 13th community is great, and it's just, you know, there's just a great set of fans that have been so supportive, and everyone we've talked to has been really, really supportive, so I just want to thank everybody for supporting the Kickstarter, you know, liking us and liking our photos that we post and our trailers and everything. It really means a lot, and it really helps push the crew forward um, to get this thing done, and not only get it done, but do it right.
0: Are you planning on taking this to any festivals or anything like that?
1: Um, I don't know what the what the rules for festivals with this are, but we are looking at trying to get some special events. That way we can watch it with fans in a theater experience, do Q&As, and, and things like that. We do want to put a special screening together for Kickstarter backers, which some are eligible. Um, so we're working on something there, we're trying to do a special screening, we'll see if we can pull it off. Um, we want to do it at the camp, so we'll bring out generators generator and set up a screen and film it in the actual main cabin of, uh, of Never High Go um,
0: Well, what's next for you, Vincent? After this is all said and done.
1: No, man. Uh, after this, it's going to be, you know, just riding this way for a little bit. We're going to have to take Never High Go out and do some stuff. I'm going to have to, you know, research some projects and get projects ready to pitch. You know, I'm hoping that people see this and, and they see me as a viable director for the project. Um, you know, I've always wanted to correct and I was listening to a great podcast the other day, you know, Sean Cunningham was talking about there is no job for a first-time director. You have to go out and make your own. And so I think with Blanc and and this film, I've gone out and I've made my own, and I have to keep making them. So, you know, we're going to develop more projects. We're going to get them ready to pitch. But, you know, at the end of the day, we know the only person who's going to want to make our films is us. So we're going to find a way to make our films. Maybe we return to Kickstarter, get something else made. Um, and if I have the fortunate ability to go in and meet for somebody and, and talk to them about their project and directing their films, I'd love to do it because I think that, you know, once I get married to a project I love, you know, I give it everything I've got. And, um, you know, I think I've got a, a pretty good take on, uh, on how to tell a good story.
0: Yeah. Do you think you'd ever do an original slasher film? It seems like you, uh, you know, the roots very well. It seems like you'd make a really good original.
1: We've talked about it. I mean, I've always wanted to make Friday the 13th, so I think I had to get that out of the way before I could ever move to another slasher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I have, you know, i got a book full of ideas of, of different, um, different ideas of, of different types of slashers and other types of horror films. I mean, in fact, I was trying to, one of the camera operators, his name's J.D. Martz, um, he was riding with me yesterday uh, as we were filming. We got back on filming yesterday this weekend. And we were talking about new projects, things that he's got on, on that he wants to do, and scripts that he wants to write. And I still work with Nate McLeod, who helped me write the never have script. And we're working on projects and getting our portfolios ready because you never know. I mean, you never know when you're going to get pulled into a room. You never know how many pitches you have to make. You might have an idea that, like, hey, this is the one I'm really passionate about. I want to make this. And i are like, well, do you have anything about, like, monster trucks? And you're like, actually, I do. Hang on a second, like all right, so I got, I got something, you know, you're going to have to try to be on the spot and give them something. Um, but that's, that's, that's production and you always have to be ready for anything. And, you know, really, I'm just right now all I can really do is focus on never I alone. I want it to be as good as possible. And then once it's done, definitely going to take a break. You know, I want to go see my family to hang out with my wife for a little bit. Yeah. And, just her <laughs> and then, um, you know, and then from there, just, you know, start to figure out my next steps. Um, this time off not only to do Never Hike Alone. I was working full time up until last December and then decided to take time off from work to finish this. Um, and before I step back into that, that realm and then take another title or take another job, it's, I've actually taken this time in Never Hike Alone to sit here and go, you know what, like, what is next for me? What do I want to do? And, you know, what I found out is that there's no rush. You don't have to figure it out all in one day. And, you know, I figured out so much about directing, even though I was able to put all this together and, and get it going and get it started. You know, who I was as a director on day one William, who I am as a director on day now has, has grown. And so I feel confident that, you know, I can walk into a room and sit down with somebody with, a, with an idea that they need shepherded to the theater or shepherded to Netflix or shepherded even to YouTube and say, I can get you there and I can give you a really interesting project. And we can have a lot of fun making this.
0: Yeah, I don't say this lightly, man. I think this is, like, one of the best ideas for a slosher film, a Jason film. Um, I'm in I'm in love with this idea, man. I'm in love with the uh, the title, man. Never Hike Alone. Just a great title. Yeah. And, hey, it's a good tip, too, right? Never Hike Alone. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, I love that title, finish. though, man. I would go see a horror film called Never Hike Alone. That sounds badass, man. <laughs> so, well, thank you. Go ahead, go maybe ahead. Maybe we, like, we do
1: the sequel, which is its own thing, Never Hike Alone, because we've actually got a couple uh, – we've had some – as we've learned more about the film that we've been making, we've actually discovered some really cool things about the camp that we're at and some other things that we've been invested in. So we've been inspired to buy this film to even kind of push it even further and maybe come up with its own entity as Never Heike Long as its own series.
0: That's right on, man.
1: Friday, this Friday the 13th fan film being kind of like a special event of it.
0: That's cool, man. Well, thank you very much for your time. Where can video land find you?
1: Uh, you guys can find us at www.wompstockfilms.com or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Wompstock Films, Twitter at Wompstock Films, and those are the best places to reach us. And if you ever want to send us an email, you want to reach out, you want a poster or a t-shirt, you can email us at contact at
0: wompstockfilms.com. And you can find us on adventuresinvideoland.com or on our Facebook at Adventures in Video Land. So until next time, my good people, peace out. Wow. <laughs>